0: start thinking about is, what else can I do to make sure that my customers information is secure? What else can I do to make sure that the, the crucial critical data sets that is the lifeblood of our business is safe from from these attacks. You're listening to KBcast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen.
1: Kim and Fred, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have this conversation because I really want to tease out a little bit more about what you guys are doing in terms of the predictive security side of things. But before we dive into that, we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey. So. I know there's two of you on the podcast today, so I'd love to hear from both of you, like, how did your journey sort of start and, like, what you're kind of doing now? So can you walk our listeners through your journey, please?
2: Sure. Thanks, Gabby. Thanks for having us. The start is probably a good place to start. And, uh, you know, from our journey, we don't want to bore you with the whole journey, but our journey actually started um, at school. Fred and I actually uh, met each other in uh, year six. And we ended up finishing high school together and then moving straight on to uni where we studied the same degree. So at uni, we naturally got into a lot of mischief. One of those mischiefs was that, you know, uh, we at some stage need to do a bit of work together, which we did, um, once we left uni, we sort of had a bit of a divergence where we went our separate ways. Um, we both started our careers. Uh, we were young, we were energetic and, uh, you know, trying to uh, conquer the world, the world, I ended up starting a company with a family relative of my wife's. And that was sort of when I uh, made, made the call back to Fred to say, why don't you come and join us? A long story short, the business was a great success. And uh, we ended up working for the cl- uh, same client before we moved to Australia, which was a large bank in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, Fast forward many years, moved to Australia, uh, where, you know, sort of started out in a career, then held a couple of uh, sort of senior positions, moved to contracting, all while raising a uh, sort of a small and young family. Mm -hmm. And uh, as as part of that journey, Fred also moved to Australia, and I'll let him explain that one. Fred, it's on to you. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah, so, I mean, Based on the success that we've had in in South Africa, when and, and how much fun it was, we've always we've always been keen to start something together, and uh, somehow the circumstances just you know for a long time wasn't wasn't great to do that. Uh, but I I started an MBA, and when when I finished that, uh, we decided to you know pull the trigger, and that was about 2016. Uh, we felt that the consulting work was a bit more. It's a bit too focused on uh, you know, what could be sold to the client rather than what they actually needed. So we wanted to change the game a little bit in that, in that perspective uh, by partnering with them, make sure that we deliver exactly what they wanted, They go on a bit of a journey with them. Um, now, all of what we do is based in data management, uh, and one of the big things that we realized uh, along the way is that a very important aspect of that, data management was left, uh, you know, left out to a certain extent, it wasn't achieving or uh, demanding the appropriate amount of focus. And that was cybersecurity. Mm. Um, and at that point, uh, my uncle that lives in the US, he's been, you know, in the in the artificial intelligence space for many, many years, we sort of got back in touch. And we realised that, uh, that, that there was something really, really promising brewing in, in, in that side of things. So uh, we, we got involved and, and started helping his firm uh, develop the product to, to a point where we could take his market.
1: So one of the things I'd really like to ask you both on, because I've had, I've had a few people, well, one guy in particular stands out. He came on my podcast. He lives in South Africa. He's South African. He sort of described what's going on over there. But because you've both lived there and lived in Australia, what do you think the big differences are? Like, do you think that Australia is behind? Would you say that South Africa is well ahead? Like, what's your sort of viewpoints? Because often I do speak to a lot of people from the United States and it's not South Africa and Australia is not something that we hear often. So I'm really keen to sort of get your thoughts on what are the things that you've sort of experienced uh, in, in your time.
2: So sure. So when, when we left South Africa, I think it was in the days where sort of digital was becoming a thing. So Internet banking was pretty advanced in South Africa uh, where mm-hmm. we left. But the cyber risk probably wasn't at the same levels that it is today. So from what I can remember from working there, and again, don't want to give my age away too quickly, it was a long time ago. Um, you know, there was always a lot of uh, focus on uh, developing secure applications and making sure that security is always front of mind. But the reality is that the sort of the threats just weren't as big as they are today. So I would say that, the, you know, from, from talking to, to colleagues and from talking to our um, sort of uh, colleagues in South Africa, um, there's quite a big focus on cybersecurity at this stage of life as well um as you can imagine it's you know africa's home of the uh you know the uh, original scammers so mm-hmm. so you know there's there's a lot of um you know different uh, especially social um types of scamming and you know uh, breach events that's constantly um on on the rise in in south africa so the threat that they deal with i think is a little bit different to to the threat in in in, in australia for example
1: mm-hmm.
2: the us it's you know it's on a whole new and a new different scale um, but I would say in general, the, the sort of similarities are, are quite, you know, it's there, is, is, except that, you know, in, in a sort of a, a South African context, they deal with different issues that we deal with.
1: No, that's really interesting because, yeah, speaking to uh, Gus, it was on an earlier episode, he was just sort of talking around like, yeah, the threats are different, but also just their maturity and how people look at things differently. So I always like to ask that question because it just gives a little bit bit of perspective of what we are doing here in Australia, but what sort of leads me to my next point is focusing on the business side of things. Like, can you talk to us a little bit more about what led to the creation of NovoFinity? But how security actually became then an emerging focus for you? Now, Fred, you mentioned your uncle. Was that sort yep. of a big um, impetus as to what sort of? propelled like, oh, I've got to think about security or more towards uh, Kim's point of view around, well, this obviously started to become quite ubiquitous and this is what people were talking about because most things are built on tech nowadays.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, when we picked up um, with with my uncle uh, a few years back, we, we quickly realized that the, the product that, that they were developing was was something really unique mm-hmm. um, and he's always been a bit of a an academic and he's been, you know, published in many journals and things like that, always always developing new things, patenting, you know, algorithms and things like that. So he so we, we realized quickly that the I we haven't heard of anything similar to that. And and they were they were developing it, it in the US. And like him said before, the scale of attack in the US is immense. Uh you know, billions of dollars get lost um, you know, annually. Uh, due to, to successful cyber attacks. Now, I think in Australia we're a bit sheltered from that. Uh, the 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 number and the volume of attacks and the severity of the attacks seem to have not permeated quite as much into Australia. And that's sort of where we felt that if we could bring a product like that into the Australian market um, early and 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 um, you know before that scale or that sort of critical mass is achieved, we could potentially help organisations save, save a lot of uh, dollars as well as reputational damage, uh, you know, by preventing them from getting successfully bridged.
1: So when you say permeate into Australia, would you say it's because Australia is just a quite a small place in, in sort of looking at other parts of the world? Or do you think that attackers don't really potentially care as much because there's not as much dollars to to gain, perhaps, versus like a US company? Like, what do you think sort of the reasoning is behind that?
0: Yeah, I think I think the the sheer or the 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 scale of it is just smaller. There's just mm. less people. There's less data to to leak. There's uh, yeah potentially less less money because the the economies are smaller. So I think it's just the product of that. But that is also changing with you know, uh, you know, we've seen that, you know, people in Australia are getting a bit nervous and they are starting to look at, you know, what else can we do to make sure that we, that we're protected.
1: So one of the interesting things that you both obviously hear is, you know, it'll never happen to us, we're too small. So because Australia is inherently smaller than other parts of the world, like the US, for example, do you think that companies hide behind that as a bit of a shield? Like, well, we're smaller, you know, we're sort of at the bottom of the earth, people sort of forget about us. Do you think that that A is a mindset and if it's the case, like why is that and how are we changing that conversation around to, to thinking more about how, well, how do we protect ourselves irrespective of where we are located in the world?
0: Yeah I think there's been a bit of a, a stagnant mentality of, of trying to just tick the boxes in terms of security you know this checklist yeah. and have we got an IPS do we have do we have uh, you know some tools to make sure that we keep the intruders out? Uh, and it's just okay. Have we done that? Have we done this? And it's a bit of a checkbox exercise. And then, uh, okay, we comply. You know, we comply from a from a regulatory perspective. And mm. uh, and oftentimes, execs feel that that is enough. Uh, but I think that's that's changing rapidly now. I think a, a good example of that would be if you spin up an AWS uh, instance, you will immediately see denied attempt at getting into that into that instance within seconds, and it will continue every second after that. So it's, you know, everybody is under attack all the time. Uh, and and whether, you know, whether people are aware of that or not, um, not sure, but I think executives are becoming more aware that there's an imminent threat.
1: No, you're absolutely right. And I think that it's something, I actually was on a podcast earlier today uh, talking exactly about we're moving away on how to push the conversation forward beyond compliance, why people are actually trying to change a conversation at the executive level. And I think it's going to come down to how we frame things and how we position things. But one of the things I'd really like to dive into now is about sort of the predict. That, sorry the predictable security work that you guys do now I'm obviously not here to steal your IP or do anything like that but I'm just I, I want people to understand like what it is so they can get a, an appreciation for the uniqueness about it because as I said I do speak to people all over the globe and it's we want to be able to paint that picture of what's out there in the market so people are aware and what they should be paying attention to
0: yeah uh, and it's it's quite interesting to talk about this. Um, what, what we, what's been done is the, flipped the, the, the tables a little bit uh, in terms of security. It's trying to not, not trying to sort of report on what's happened uh, and trying to deal with that, but flipping it on its head in terms of thinking like the attackers do. okay So what, is, what does a hacker do when they try to breach your your systems or your environments? what is the workflow what are the steps that they take Uh, and based on the on the knowledge of of the guys that we've got in the founding group is is they've been able to go and model you know all of the potential threats that exist Uh, and i think the the the, the good thing about this is that 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 knowledge is so deep that there's hardly anything that these guys haven't seen or tested or uh, tried to uh, protect against uh, so, so that sort of fed into, uh, into the, the, the way of thinking. So the, I guess the, the main point of difference is that it's trying to not tell you what's happened. It's, you know, it's not saying, oh, you've had a breach over there, you should probably do something about it. What they're trying to do is you know, step X or step one, two, and three of uh, a workflow that after 10 steps will give you this bad outcome has now occurred you are basically a third of the way into a really bad outcome. You should probably go and look at that and try and make it, you know, go away or stop it. Uh, So so giving you time to prevent things rather than reacting on, uh, on things that have already happened.
1: So do you think, I mean, in my experience, a lot of cybersecurity practitioners or CISOs, they already feel overwhelmed with, like, what they've got to do today and they're trying to get their head above the water with just, like, basic stuff so do you think if we start introducing sort of predictive security do you think that they may feel overwhelmed because you're saying like you get to step three and then you're like well you know you're not heading down a great path there john you've got to try to change your direction like do you think like what do you sort of think has been the response or do you think that they can appreciate that because they can actually see a lot further into the future which i guess if they reverse engineer they can start uh engineering and architecting things that they need to a lot earlier than perhaps they they would have because they didn't know that historically speaking
0: yeah i think i think it's quite important to get a narrative right around that Uh, at the moment i think like uh socks and people that monitor events are overwhelmed uh because there's so many Mm. events coming through they don't Mm. know which ones to action and there's no way for them to determine which ones are the ones that they need to deal with first and then we want to the less severe ones now what what this product gives us is actually it tells you how far along the path of attack you are and and sometimes it might look like an attack and then it goes a different way and it's not an attack at all so so it's a way it's a way of reducing uh, the number of events that you that you need to look at uh, insofar as it gives you a a, 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 a progress uh, or a, like a it's almost like a probability it's not a one or a zero it's you know, you're 60% there, uh, and you're three steps away. Or, uh, you know, there's one step happened, and then you know, but there's one over there that's much further along. You should probably look at that one first. So it gives you a way to prioritize action, uh, thus removing uh, some of that pressure off off the people that actually need to deal with these threats.
1: And so, when you're talking, you said before about socks and stuff like that, because a lot of analysts have got like alert fatigue, and there's so many things that they need to look at, a lot of that can sort of then create like false positives. So how does that sort of go with the whole predictive security piece? Like how, how does that work then with what you're talking about?
2: Oh, that's a great question, uh, Katie. So as you, as you mentioned, one of the biggest, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, impacts um, and, and challenges that SOCs and companies deal with is that sheer number of events so, what we try and do is um, sort of you know look at you know the impact and and what actually happens on the ground so if you can imagine you're being overwhelmed with events um at what point do you actually miss that event that puts you in the news um you know and 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 it's that it's that little event you know that that you know could seem you know benign when uh you know when it's happening or you just don't have the time to look at it that puts you in the news so what we've done with this is that you know, we, we don't just provide a binary call um, on the maliciousness of an attack. Um, so what we do is we sort of, uh, as Fred mentioned, uh, we look at the workflow, we look at the steps. And what we then do with the workflows and the steps is based on the severity of the final outcome that this step or workflow could lead to, we then assign a priority to each of the, the sort of attacks in progress or the workflows that we're busy tracking. And based on that, we filter it out in terms of how far they've progressed. So if you can imagine, you know, as Fred mentioned, you know, if if there's 10, 10 steps in the workflow to complete to get to that bad event, and we're currently at step three, that would be a sort of potential low priority. And what we would do with that is even though we would log it, we would not put that onto the radar just yet. And we would focus more on the sort of activities that are already far progressed and that are that actually have paths that could lead to a bad event.
1: So one of the things that you mentioned just then, Kim, is you're getting all of these events. Do you think that people become sort of desensitized to it then? That's what I meant by like the the false positives because it's like, oh, it's just another alert, like I won't worry about it, but it actually could be something that is... Like one of the main events that has created like a data breach, for example. So, do you, do you think that people are becoming sort of desensitized to these things? And if so, like how do how do we go around not becoming desensitized to that?
2: Yeah, I definitely do think they do. Um, if you can imagine, you know, if if, if that's your job and if, if you're the hacker on the other side, that's what you would want. Uh, you would mm. want people to, you know, sort of get to a point where this is normal. You know, I'm getting twenty thousand of these attacks a month, so you know, therefore, mm. I can ignore it. And what we try and do with predictable security is to bring that, you know, focus back onto the things that you should be looking at. So it's, it's, it's not really desensitizing, but it's allowing focus. It's, it's bringing um, the focus to the right events. So out of the, you know, 10,000 events that you might um, experience in a week or a month, depending on your organization size, what we're trying to do, you know, in that situation where, you know, I'm, I might not be monitoring it the whole day, or as you said, you know, desensitized I've seen this thing 20,000 times in the last year, uh, what we're trying to do is we try and sort of tell you what, you know, the important ones, and then mm-hmm. also how far they are progressed. So, so monitoring your environment, seeing exactly where this, uh, you know, workflow is occurring, and then also seeing how far it has progressed, in order for you to then go and, do something.
1: So, for example, if you've got, okay, let's use 10,000 arbitrary number with what you're talking about, how much reduction do you think that they can then have the focus? So is it like 50%, 60%, 70%? Because I agree with you, if you're looking at like 10,000 events, like that's quite a lot, you become desensitized, you're probably not really following what's going on, because it's just another thing happening. But then if, if you're talking about you know your solution and then you can sort of reduce that and then hypothetically, if you're only focusing on 20%, then that's a lot of like work that has just been taken off someone's desk and they can only focus on those things that you're sort of claiming are uh, the focus. So do you have sort of indicative like percentage in terms of like workload that that potentially could reduce?
2: Well, I guess the, the sort of the, the, the percentage would be a little bit dependent on the where in the world, as well as the size of the company, sure. but from um, from what we can see in terms of the workflows, right? So there's there's a whole lot of workflows that follow the same process, and a whole lot of workflows that that, that don't really progress past a certain uh, number of steps due to your internal protection. And we would say that that would be probably about seventy or eighty, or you know, potentially even ninety percent of the general attacks um, that, that 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 occur in organizations now from our our perspective we are still logging those we're just not making them priority items unless they seem to progress so i would say that there would be a you know know, percentage-wise it's probably a tough one to say but i would think that there would be a quite a big big percentage
0: Mm -hmm, mm i I might just chime in there as well so um you can always set the tolerance of of how uh how many you want to see so if you want to see only the ones that are like one step away from a bad outcome, it'd be way less. <laughs> Uh Right, yep. You that. But you know, the further back you push your alerts, if you say, I want to see I want to see all events that had progressed past 50%, you're going to get a lot. Uh, if you push it to you know, 60%, it'd be less and so on and so forth. And, and you can, you know, we can set all that up.
2: That, that, that's a great point, um, KB. And I would say that that probably has to do with the um, sort of maturity of the organizations. Um, mm-hmm. so, so if you're, you know, a little bit more confident in your uh, security posture, um, then you would probably set it a bit higher and mm-hmm. you really would reduce a great number of um, alerts that do come through.
1: So what I'm hearing is, let me, correct me if I'm wrong. So I'm just trying to paint the picture. So just say you've got 10,000, again, arbitrary number. You bring in more uh, predictable security solution. You can reduce uh, a lot of those events by 70, 80, even 90%. So that's quite a reduction then in potential like headcount for them for an organization because just say you've got like seven analysts or 10 or he- whoever many depending on the size of the, organize- size of the organization, you could probably reduce that headcount then quite substantially. Is that is that kind of what you're saying here?
2: Well, you know, whether you reduce the headcount or whether you then – Focus those, um, you know, analysts or security specialists on actually going to uh, uh, bolster your security or you know uplift your capability. Um, that we would leave up um, to our consulting team or to the, the client to de- to to decide. But the the cost benefits is most definitely there.
1: So do you think that? Well, this obviously must be quite then appealing to organisations because I mean I've I've had several conversations just basically on this topic alone on you know automation and AI and and focusing on doing the actual like real proper work rather than doing trivial things right. So if you, if they're only going to filter through like thirty or twenty percent, that's actually focusing on the real work rather than all this other stuff that is not really. I'd say, like adding a lot of value in the long term. And then we're sitting there paying all these people to to analyse all these things that it's like, well, it's not really helpful. But if you sort of have a lens and you're focusing on this 20 or 30%, then you're likely to get a better outcome then for that organisation than long term, I would say. That's what I'm hearing from what you guys are saying.
0: Exactly right. I think, I think you're spot on there. And we, we see it with other automation initiatives as well. Uh, you, know, you might have an, a, a, a financial manager sitting there Stringing together a bunch of data to feed into a spreadsheet that they then have to then feed into another spreadsheet, and, mm-hmm. and eventually you you have somebody that's highly skilled in the the disciplines of finance doing like random data ran, wrangling activities, I uh, know. which is really not their job, right? They're their job, that, and the reason why you're paying them a high wage is for the knowledge that they've got, and they're not using that knowledge because they're doing some some other tasks that they really shouldn't be doing at all. So it allows you to 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 refocus on the areas where those resources can provide the most the most value
1: no you're absolutely right because i was speaking to i think rachel greaves recently and we were speaking about ai and machine learning and why companies shouldn't be afraid of that and she the way in which she positioned it was was exceptional that yes focusing on the the tasks at hand that 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 make the most impact versus like you were saying trivial tasks of data wrangling and and all of that like yes that's important but we could just get a machine to do that correct and so how do you how do you have that conversation with people because I mean in this industry like I said people are struggling getting the basics right they're struggling to keep their head above the water do you think that how are you managing this conversation with and and, and again you don't want to say well, like fire everyone and bring this in because that's not what you're saying what you're saying is you should be focusing on this 20 30% and letting the rest of it go then as well so what's that conversation look like and how are people sort of responding to it
0: yeah so so I guess the, the way that we'd approach it is 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 not by saying that you're going to reduce your headcount. Uh the, the, <laughs> right. the people working in the SOCs are already overwhelmed. They can't action all of the, the alerts that come up. It's just too many of them. Mm. So what we're doing is we're re- removing the noise. We, we're allowing them to action the events and, and, and the workflows that, that are going to cause harm to the organisation. Um, so I think... In that way, you're turning a potentially negative conversation into something that's quite positive. Uh, so not not only are we going to make sure that your organization's safe from attacks, we're also going to help you uh, have a more productive and a, and a more focused and potentially happy workforce. You know because they're not they're no longer overwhelmed with the sheer you know avalanche of events that are coming to them.
2: And if no. I could maybe just chime in there as well, one of the uh sort of the big benefits that we that we see in this is also if you can imagine um the over- overwhelmed people in the SOC um missing alerts or not getting to all the alerts, mm. you don't have a real indication of your risk profile as an organization. And nice. with this product, we, we sort of bring that to 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 light. So um you know, it's, it's seldom that, uh, you know, executives or sort of more senior staff or your chief risk officer is actually aware of the number of attacks that you um, experience, as well as how far they progress before they stop, um, you know. So, so, so what, we, what we want to bring to the table as well is that sort of benefit where we, you know, sort of no, not just only take the, the workload off, uh, you know, the people monitoring the alerts, but also to bring that risk exposure um, and the real risk exposure. Um, to the forefront.
1: And I think that one of the things to even go a step further, I mean, I've come from a reporting background myself. I used to have to go around, as Fred said, wrangling people for information. Uh, but if you, if, you're, if I'm an executive, uh, at, at, you know, speaking to people about this topic as well, like you want to focus on the stuff that makes sense, right? So you want to focus on that 20, 30% that you guys are really focusing on and drilling down on everything else. Like no one cares about the other 70, 80% of the other stuff because that's just fluff. But we want to focus on here because that's what's going to get actual outcomes and that's going to get people to, to move because they can see, well, I can see where this is going now because you've really honed in on that. But if you've got all these things going on, it's going to be really hard to produce some type of substantial reporting capability for an executive to A, look at it, not feel overwhelmed by all the numbers and things on a page, but then also to take action off the back of that as well.
2: Yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's accurate. Yeah. And, and, and just to sort of elaborate on that perhaps is that um, it will also allow, um, you know, if you can imagine that, uh, you know, if you're the CISO or the sort of head of security, it's always hard to go and ask for investment. It's um, difficult to get money to, you know, you can, you can tell people that, you know, uh, we need more money. we, trying to, uh, you know, launch more digital capabilities, and then enable more channels to, to, you know, uh, get hold of our customers and to, you know, connect with them. Um, But if you don't have real data behind the scenes, um, it's quite hard to go and ask for money to invest Mm. in something, because it's, it's always hard to say that, you know, I need the dollars to go and stop these sort of attacks.
1: No, you're absolutely right. It's a very anecdotal viewpoint rather than facts and figures, and it's hard to back up what you're asking for if you can't show it in the black and white. Yeah. So one of the things I'd like to sort of focus on is the AI side of the solution. Like, talk to me about that, because there's a lot of vendors out there that say, oh, we're AI, and they, they make all these claims. And I think there was even a report or study done like maybe one or two years ago that, there was all these vendors saying that they're AI, but then doing their due diligence, like they kind of weren't in the end. So I think that there's a lot of people saying that. And I'm not saying that you guys are saying that. I'm just curious to how you're sort of delineating what your product does versus everyone else that's out there, because everyone's claiming that. So I'm really keen for you guys to, to get into the specifics of that, to just walk our listeners through like what that actually looks like.
2: Sure. So, so, so what, we, what, we, what we know is that AI is still some way away from human con- cognition. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we believe, what we've done, is that we've modelled, modelled the way that attackers think and operate. Um, and we've done that to the extent that we can track their progress and then using um, our sort of machine learning approach, which I'll cover in a second, um, to then predict um, What's going to happen with these attacks in real time? When it comes to our sort of machine learning uh, behind the scenes, is what we've done is we've employed um, or we employ a unique and patented machine learning algorithms. And what we've done is we've gone um, with a symbolic machine learning approach. And what we, the reason for that is if you go with any other type of machine learning approach out there, It's generally a black box, which means that you don't know why predictions were made when it comes to the sort of the symbolic approach, we know exactly why the decision was made. So so we've trained the models on the attackers workflow and the thinking process, and we can then at a granular level track exactly how that workflow is executing and then make a prediction based on that. So you know, to put it in sort of a, an analogy, um, and this is an analogy that comes from David, uh, one of our sales members and, you know, I don't want to get this wrong, but I know that he's reached some sort of a, you know, very high level of, uh, either, you know, Olympic level or very high level in judo, um, or wrestling. And the analogy that he makes is that if you're a really good wrestler, rest- wrestler, and I mean, we've all seen the wrestlers in one form or another, you know, whether it's MMA or, you know, the Olympic games, um, what differentiates the good wrestlers from, you know, the ones that come second or third is their ability to sort of, you know, read the small movements from their opponents. So and reading those movements then allows them to sort of plan their next move in milliseconds before it happens. And that's exactly what we want, what we did with predictable securities. We've used and you know, employed. So AI by industry speak, but machine learning and symbolic machine learning methods to then predict the next steps of the attacks.
1: And so do you think that because you're going to get like this this more accurate view and, and uh, predictable uh, landscape, do you think that over time then that will reduce a lot of people perhaps misstepping because they can see like what's happening versus today? Like perhaps they can only see like one or two steps ahead. But now you're sort of saying, well, we can see this, this, and this, and therefore, as a result of that, you can you can change what you're doing a lot earlier versus what people are sort of doing today. Is this sort of where we're going to be headed as an industry, like if, if you think about in the future?
0: Yeah, one of, one of the big things here, uh, or one of the big benefits is the fact that it buys you time. So you're, you're going to be under attack at any point. The The main thing is how much time have you got to react to be able to stop the attack, and that's and that's what the product will provide is the time to go and make those changes, whereas uh, a lot of other a lot other uh, security products really just does pattern matching and just tells you, oh, okay, we're seeing this happening over there, and it's really too late; it's already in play. Mm. Um, so so the time factor, I think, is one of the crucial benefits here.
1: Yeah, you're right, because by, by the time something's happening, you're like negative time, right? And I think that that's not a good starting point. So I guess it's probably going to reduce the burden on a lot of security teams at the moment who, again, are struggling with what they've got. So it's going to give them to, to think, to have the focus, from what I'm hearing, to get more time back and to actually work on things that, Like make sense and not sort of worrying about like that you're saying like 10,000 alerts rather than focusing on the 20 or 30 percent so it's going to really hone in that focus to to make better decisions and to ultimately get better outcomes right exactly right so for executives who are listening to this podcast and i and i wanted to paint that high level picture because it's still people still uh they they do feel overwhelmed they they still don't quite understand like ai and machine learning so you know we do try to paint that high level picture but what would be some of you, your advice to to people adopting this new approach like to what would you sort of recommend
0: yeah that's a great question as well and i think we've we've touched on it earlier as well but really i think the focus that security is getting at the moment is is going to put uh, pressure on executives to really uh, start thinking outside of the checkbox uh, way of, of of doing security, whereas you're not just saying, okay, what do I need to do to get compliant from a regulatory perspective mm. uh, or an industry expectation? Uh, just checking the boxes, yeah, we've done that, we've done that, we've done that, but really start thinking about is, what else can I do to make sure that my customers' information is secure? What else can I do to make sure that the the crucial, critical data sets that is the lifeblood of our business is safe from from these attacks? Um, and everything is going into the digital era now as well. A lot of a lot of organisations is mov- are moving that way. Even small mm. ones are digitising. Uh, so there's a there's a renewed impetus on on any executive to make sure that everything is being done to protect uh, those data assets. Uh, So I guess the key question here is, what, what else could I have done to make sure that our information is secure and safe, uh, rather than have I done, you know, everything that's in the checklist?
1: So do you think people are asking that question? Like, what else could I have done? Like, are people asking that question in your experience or not really?
0: Yeah, well, I, I think it's heading that way. I think the more breaches there are, the, the people that got breached definitely asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so, fair yeah, enough. Fair point. And, and, you know, thinking about some of the bigger, you know, hacks in some of the government organisations that lost some data recently, you know, there's going to be a lot of questions around okay so what else could you have done and then you know the question is okay but why have why didn't you do it yeah. so so it's really about doing the right thing making sure that as an executive you have the the welfare of the 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 organization and its shareholders uh, you know first in line uh, and making sure that from a security perspective, you're doing everything to ensure the success of the organization.
2: Yeah, And I guess just to sort of, you know, uh, put that in perspective, right? If I, if I had to put myself in the shoes of an executive and I got up in the morning and I read the news and I saw, uh, you know, a, a breach or a hacking event that occurred in the industry, you know, if, if I then ask my cybersecurity experts in my organization, um, what have we done? I'm, you know, I'm going to be very concerned to invest in more digital capabilities if they don't tell me something that we've done different to the other organizations that have been breached. And, you know, from, from a sort of a, you know, executive perspective, it's important for them sort of to understand, you know, what, what products are out there and what, what can we do differently as opposed to employing the same methods that we've been doing for the last 20 or 30 years.
1: Do you think that over time now that that gap is going to get smaller in terms of, well, because there are more breaches that we're hearing about in the media and that they are asking these questions like, well, what, what else could I have done? So do you think that that's we're going to sort of mature as an industry and, and that will sort of become less and less because people are already doing that? Like they don't have to ask that question. They're already doing it. They're already thinking it.
0: Yeah, I guess, you know, once you get to a point where the market is very mature you know all of the tech and all of the the tools have been applied potentially could get there and and i guess until we get everyone to start using this kind of uh predictable uh ai based security solution um you know we we can't say that yet so i guess what the message that we're trying to get through is this is something that that everybody needs to consider in their posture and and, and making sure that they've done everything that they they could have to make sure that the data is secure.
1: So in terms of how far away would would we be, though, as an industry? Like, I mean, it's it's probably a bit of a hard question, but, like, you're speaking about predictable security. Like, this has probably become quite ubiquitous in the future. Like, how far away are we from that point where it's like, oh, yeah, we've all got it. Like, it's kind of like, I don't know, basic patching sort of everyone does that or they should be doing that so how how far away are we to, to that stage where this is just a very common thing that everyone is doing would you say like 10 years five years one year
2: oh i would have loved to say uh one year but i think the reality is that we are still still some ways off um you know as, as an industry you know we we as as a human race we quite uh good at doing things the way we do things uh, you know we get to uh, we, we reach a certain level of comfort and that's what we you know sort of uh, stick to mm. uh, but there's a lot of uh, changes in the industry uh, you know in terms of maturity and you know to find work in the cybersecurity industry you have to be you know it, it, it's top skilled uh, people that we're talking about so most of the people that we come across, you know, it's, it's not necessarily through lack of their personal motivations that they're not thinking in this way. It might just be the sort of the culture of, you know, mm. where they are at the level of maturity for the organizations that they work at. But from our perspective, I mean, we would love to see um, cybersecurity take a, a, you know, a big step change over the next five years.
1: And because like, as you sort of said at the, the start, Fred, like your uncle, like they're doing a lot of this already in the US, like Australia, I'm guessing is substantially behind the US. So do you think that we're going to start catching up to them in terms of capability or what's your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I guess in terms of capability, I'm, I'm, I don't think we're that far off the US necessarily. I think what the US is, is seeing more is just the number of attacks, uh, mm. to be honest. Uh, so you'll find that in most organisations you'll have various you know flavours of tooling to to prevent or to try and deal with attacks and keep keep the the, the attackers out. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of in terms of just the sheer volume of attacks, the, the US is seeing that a lot more, uh, and I have a feeling that we're going to start seeing a lot more of the, the same sort of thing in Australia as well, which is why we're trying to we're trying to uh, Bring this into the market to to get ready. You know, we don't want to be we don't want to be waiting and waiting, and then you know having a a bunch of really big breaches, and then say, sort of, oh, we should have, you know we wish we had something that we could have done.
1: What else could we have done on that question?
0: Exactly right. (laughs) That's exactly
1: right. (laughs) Okay, Fred and Kim, really appreciate your time. Um, Really appreciate you sharing your thoughts as well because, I mean, like, it's not an easy conversation to get into, like, the specifics of, like, the AI and, and, and challenging that because you know, a lot of vendors are claiming that. And, and I wanted to get into that because it's important that people know like how it works because anyone can say it's this and that, but it's, you know, we want to actually have um, substance behind what we say if that's what we're pitching. So I was really really appreciate you um, talking about that today. So if people have a question for either of you that perhaps I didn't ask today, how can they go about reaching out to both of you?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, an email is probably the best best way uh you know either, either one of us uh, i think it's contacts at no uh that that's fine and then we'll we'll reach back out and we can have a conversation no, no drama at all
1: awesome well again really appreciate the time and i can't wait to get you guys on again to talk about what's happening next in security
2: awesome well, thanks Thank for you. having us thanks for having really us. appreciate it
1: thanks for tuning in We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital.
0: This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.